At last, at long last, our civic nightmare is over and William Nylander has come home. We can debate the negotiating tactics from both sides during the stalemate and we can also debate the value of the contract and the long-term ramifications it will have. But what we can't debate, because it's fact, is the positive impact Nylander is going to have on a Maple Leafs lineup that's already in the top three in the league. They just added a young player who has scored 60 points in each of his first two seasons in the league. This team is probably in the best position to win the Stanley Cup in the last two decades of the franchise. So let's not turn our attention to the upcoming contract decisions to be made on Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, Jake Gardner, or others. Let's just settle in for what could be a historic finish for this Maple Leafs team. Hello, welcome to the 416 Sports Show for Monday, December 3rd, 2018. I'm Matt Danick Antonio. You can find me on Twitter at Danick, D-I underscore N-I-C. You can find the 416 Sports Show for streaming and download on SoundCloud, on iTunes, on Google Play, and wherever else you get your podcasts. And what a busy week it was in Toronto. The Raptors are rolling, the Leafs are rolling, and... We have a resolution to the William Nylander contract stalemate at long last, taking it down to the final minutes. The Maple Leafs and general manager Kyle Dubas getting the young Swede signed on a six-year deal worth over $40 million. And here's what we know. The salary for this year is a $10 million salary with a $2 million signing bonus and a cap hit of $10.21 million. For the second year, it's a $700,000 salary and an $8.3 million signing bonus. So a lot of money being paid up front to William Nylander. Uh, But the cap hit for years two to six is just $6.97 million, which is a very uh, palatable number if you're the Maple Leafs. And considering the cap crunch, quote-unquote, moving forward when... Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner need to be re-signed this summer. Jake Gardner, a decision needs to be made on him, whether he will be re-signed as his contract comes to an end. Kasperi Kapanen and Travis Dermott will both be restricted free agents, as will Andreas Janssen. So it's a it's a palatable number for the Leafs at, at 6.9, just under $7 million. We know that Nylander's camp wanted north of 8 when this began, and the Leafs always wanted to keep it under 7. So it's a win for the Leafs in keeping the number under $7 million. But for Nylander... He gets to make a lot of money up front. It will be $12 million between the $10 million salary and the and the $2 million signing bonus this year. And then the $8.3 million signing bonus to be paid in July uh, of next year. That's a lot of money up front for, for William Nylander. And an opportunity uh, if the Leafs so uh, desire or need to. They can uh, they can probably trade that contract after the signing bonus has been paid, uh, as it's uh, 2.5 million in salary plus 3.5 mil in signing bonuses for each of the last four years. So if you do the quick math, that's six million dollars a year that needs to be paid to Nylander in the last four years, plus the seven hundred thousand dollars salary for next season. Uh, and so maybe that's a bit of a win for Nylander as well because. He gets a lot of his money up front and some insurance in the event that the Leafs want or need to trade him. Uh, if the Leafs do end up trading him before next season starts and after that signing bonus has been has been given out, 
It's the Leafs who are paying the majority of his salary on this contract, at least in the early going, and that might feel like some sort of moral victory for Nylander. And in the final year of the deal, he has a 10-team no-trade clause. That's the only year of the deal that he was eligible for a no-trade clause, as restrictive free agents are not eligible for no-trade clauses. So the sixth and final year of the deal is the only year in which he gets some kind of no-trade protection. So if the Leafs did want to trade him next year, they can trade him wherever they want. And perhaps that's, again, like I said, why Nylander wanted all that guarantee up front. Uh, because if they are going to uh, you know, make him a cap casualty, uh, he at least wants to be paid. Uh, since he will not have any control over the destination. Uh, of course, he could have uh, controlled a potential new destination by signing an offer sheet. And it will be interesting to see if any teams approached him. I wonder if we'll ever get that information about whether uh, an offer sheet was presented for Nylander to sign. Uh, feels like this was always the way this was going to end, especially once we got into the season. It seemed like, uh, given the way that the salary cap works and that signing uh, a restricted free agent uh, late later in the year, I should say, uh, could create that imbalance of salary cap. It's a $10 million cap hit this year, but only 6.9 in all the remaining years. It kind of worked out well for Nylander and the Leafs, and the fact they had a lot of money to spend this year and less money to spend in the following years. And so maybe it was inevitable. And we I don't think we'll ever know if maybe there was some sort of wink-wink agreement that, uh, you know, if we don't get something done early, we can use this as a, a tool or a resource to get him a lot of money up front uh, and then make the, the long-term uh, salary a, a little easier to uh, to manage in, in, the, in the cap. So uh, I, I doubt... <laughs> that that was actually the uh, the scenario, but once we did get into the season, and uh, and no deal was struck, it, it felt more and more likely that this was going to be uh, the way that it was going to play out. And will we see more players use this tactic? Will we see more restricted free agents around the league use their leverage? The leverage, the only you know bargaining chip they have is to hold out, and most teams will not be in the same position as the Leafs, where. This is a damn good team. They could afford to miss William Nylander for 25, 26 games, and they're still in the top three in the league. There will be situations around the league where the team has a good young player and says, we need this guy in the lineup. We can't afford to have him sitting out 25 games, and and you know maybe they cave. So we'll see if this sets any sort of precedent. But it was not surprising that William Nylander ended up signing with the Leafs. I don't think... Kyle Dubas wanted to make a trade because teams would see that he wants to make a trade and you would never get full value for William Nylander. The fullest value you might have gotten would be at the draft or at the upcoming draft. And there is already speculation, uh, loath as I am to talk about it, that this could be Nylander's last season as a Leaf and he may be traded at the draft. There will be certainly a market for his services at that time if uh, the Leafs do get themselves into a bit of a cap crunch, and you can have all 30 other teams sort of bidding for his services. And all it takes is one team to say, hey, we're going to take this young player at a pretty reasonable contract who's going to make an immediate impact to our club and give the Leafs what they want. Although I still would say that that is the less likely scenario. I never really saw William Nylander sitting this entire season out either, and I don't think the Leafs could afford... Uh, that scenario either. Uh, they are in, as I mentioned off the top, their best window to win a Stanley Cup in easily the last decade, if not the last two. 
And to take a 22-year-old player out of your lineup, essentially for no reason, would really be damaging to the club and their chances at winning. And for Nylander, there was no way he could sit and miss the potential to win a Stanley Cup. But also, it does nothing positive for his value as a player and as a and probably as a person as well to sit out the entire season and not only miss that opportunity to win the cup, but just miss out on opportunity to prove himself as a player and to accumulate NHL experience. You don't really do much for your value when you're sitting at home, and maybe he could have played in Sweden or Russia, but I find it hard to believe that uh, playing in that league would provide a more positive experience than playing in the NHL. There's already, like I said, some discussion on what this means for the Leafs moving forward, and I'm not really crazy about discussing the long-term cap cap implications. For this year, they've currently got about 5 million in space and growing before the trade deadline. So if there's an impact defenseman to be had, they can probably afford to go out and get him. Now, the the pickings are probably slim. You're looking at uh, rentals, guys who are UFA at the end of this year, potentially guys who are UFA at the end of next year. Uh, But it's not a a super inspiring class, so the Leafs may have to get creative uh, and try and find uh, a defensive piece if that is what they so wish to do uh, to add another player as we approach the trade deadline. But speaking of trades, the Toronto Maple Leafs have just swung a deal. Uh, Just after 12.30 here on Monday, December 3rd, Josh Levo has been traded to the Vancouver Canucks for forward Michael Carcone. Uh, Carcone does not have any NHL experience. He has spent uh, the last three seasons in AHL with the Utica Comets. Uh, he's a five foot ten, hundred and seventy five pound winger. This, uh, those stats, courtesy of Kristen Shilton of TSN. Uh, but the trade has been uh, not officially confirmed by the Maple Leafs, uh, but it is being reported by uh, TSN uh, and Chris Johnston of Sportsnet as well. Uh, so it appears Josh Levo will be the odd man out. Oh, there it is, official uh, official alert from the Toronto Maple Leafs. The Maple Leafs have acquired forward Michael Carcone from the Vancouver Canucks in exchange for Josh Levo. So Josh Levo heads west uh, after spending a lot of time in the press box Last year uh, and having a pretty good start to his season so far in limited minutes on the third and fourth line, he will get a fresh opportunity to contribute with the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, The Leafs will have that, uh, excuse me, will have a a roster spot opened up for William Nylander. They made a paper transaction on Sunday of sending Travis Dermott to the AHL. He has been now since recalled from the Marlies. He will be in the lineup on Tuesday night when the Leafs visit the Buffalo Sabres. It is unlikely that the Uh, that William Nylander will be in the lineup. There is a shot that he could play Thursday at home against the Detroit Red Wings. Uh, So that could be William Nylander's debut, or it could be Saturday in Boston against his good friend David Pasternak and the rival Bruins. So a lot of moving parts for the Maple Leafs right now. Uh, I think Josh Levo makes the most sense as a guy to be dealt. Uh, I think they probably wanted to keep the experience of a guy like Tyler Ennis, Uh, And I don't think they wanted to lose a defenseman, especially not uh, a right-handed shot like Justin Hall, even though he's only played one game this year. Uh, Even Martin Marincin, uh, probably a guy who they saw some value in um, and maybe more value in trade for Josh Levo than there was uh, in Martin Marincin. Uh, And they wanted to keep their centers, Frederick Goche and Par Lindholm. uh, I would guess that for tomorrow night, 
Gauthier would slide into the fourth line center spot. Par Lindholm will will take a winger spot, maybe up with Kadri or, or maybe on that fourth line with Gauthier. Uh, and then at some point, William Nylander will slide in and it will be fascinating to see where Mike Babcock puts William Nylander. Will he get his spot with Austin Matthews back? And what happens to Kasperi Kapanen? Or does Kasperi Kapanen stay on that line? And maybe Patrick Marlowe gets moved. So again, a lot of moving parts. We won't really have many answers until maybe Wednesday's practice or Thursday's morning skate. Uh, But Josh Levo has been dealt to the Vancouver Canucks to open up a roster spot for William Nylander. And let's talk about the Leafs on the ice. They have won four in a row and eight of their last 10, two and oh, since the return of Austin Matthews. Uh, and like I said, they're getting William Nylander back at some point this week. The power play is four for five since Matthews has returned. The schedule may be a little bit tougher as six of the next seven are on the road, but that's all right because they are 10 and three on the road this season, tied for the league lead with 10 road victories in their schedule this week, Tuesday at Buffalo. The Sabres are in Nashville uh, on Monday night, which is a little bit odd that the Leafs will essentially be waiting uh, for Buffalo and the Sabres have to travel uh, from another time zone. Uh, Will Nylander debut on Tuesday? It, It appears very unlikely at this point. Thursday versus Detroit is uh, is the second game of the week. That game is at home and their only home game in the next two weeks and a possible Nylander debut game. And then Saturday, they are in Boston. Of course, the Bruins are not at full strength. Uh, each team has won the home game of their matchup this year. Uh, this is the last visit to Boston for the Leafs this season, maybe until the spring when uh, they could potentially meet in the playoffs once again. But three divisional games for the Maple Leafs this week at Buffalo versus Detroit at Boston. The team is on a roll. They have a an opportunity to move to the top of the NHL standings at some point this week. They're neck and neck with Tampa Bay. They're neck and neck with Buffalo, who is the surprise team of this year and a potential first-round opponent for the Maple Leafs. And as terrifying as that might be based on the experience the Leafs have, uh, the Leafs have in Buffalo over the last, I don't know, decade, two decades, three decades, uh, as much as uh, as that might scare you, that would potentially be a very, very, very fun playoff series for the Leafs uh, if they were to take on the Sabres at the divisional matchup just right down the highway. You know there will be a lot of Leafs fans in Buffalo, not only this Tuesday, uh, but whenever they play uh, throughout the course of the, the season and if they meet in the playoffs as well. Getting ahead of ourselves for sure, uh, but it's, uh, it's kind of refreshing to see the Sabres uh, back in relevancy in the NHL and not just fighting for the lottery at the bottom of the standings. But uh, a good opportunity for the Leafs this week to pick up some more points and get their full squad back together. We do expect William Nylander to debut at some point this week for the Maple Leafs. Ho-hum, ho-hum, the Toronto Raptors with another long winning streak. They have won eight in a row at this point. Their winning streaks this season have been six, six, and eight. They sit 20-4, and four, first place in the NBA. They just defeated the Golden State Warriors at home on Thursday night. Was that a convincing enough win for you, or did it need to be a bigger win because of the absences of Steph Curry and Draymond Green? It's a win that maybe... The Raptors wouldn't have picked up in the last couple of years. Do they win that game without Kawhi Leonard? Or, by the same token, do they win that game 
with DeMar DeRozan? It's a question that certainly needs to be asked in in some way, and that's kind of why the trade was made, is because uh, uh, they felt that Kawhi Leonard would be able to put them over the top in those types of games, and certainly he came to play 37 points, a season high, and his best mark as a Toronto Raptor, obviously, uh, wasn't quite able to limit Kevin Durant, who still scored 51 points in a losing effort for the Warriors, and there is something to be said, like I mentioned, about how they probably should have won by more without Curry and Green in the lineup for the Warriors, but maybe they pick up a good chunk of those 51 points that Durant scores. He doesn't. I don't think he comes close to 51 if Curry and Green are in the lineup. Maybe those points just get redistributed. It's. I know it's an entirely different game, but I still think it's a game that the Raptors could have won if those two star players were in the lineup. So there is certainly an asterisk beside that game because of the absence of those players, but both are expected to be back in the lineup for the rematch, which comes just next Wednesday in Oakland at Oracle Arena when the Raptors are there. However, I think there will be another asterisk on that game because the Raptors are on the second night of a back-to-back, and the night before, they're playing the Los Angeles Clippers, who are right up there with the Warriors for the best team in the Western Conference. And will Kawhi have to sit one of those two games as he has sat at least one game on every back-to-back situation for the Raptors this season? Which game will he sit? Will he sit the Tuesday night when they're taking on the Clippers to rest him up for that showdown with the Warriors? Or will he play Tuesday and then he's rested Wednesday and then there's another asterisk beside that game because the Raptors didn't have Kawhi for that night? There's going to be an asterisk either way because the Raptors are playing on a back-to-back, and we know how tough it is to play on back-to-backs in the NBA, especially when you're traveling. Or maybe we get to the point where they just roll out Kawhi on both nights and say, hey, you've you've reached better conditioning than you have all season. Maybe they give him the, the following game on, I believe it's uh, Friday or Saturday when they travel to Portland for the third game of that four-game Western road trip. So maybe they give him an extended absence uh, later in the week after letting him play back-to-back. Who knows? Still so many moving parts. Um, but just a little bit disappointing that we won't really see full-strength Raptors, even if everybody's playing, uh, because they're playing the night before, it, it, it's not quite full-strength Raptors. So it's certainly, uh, it will definitely be a game uh, game to watch and, and a potential finals preview, as Clay Thompson mentioned last week. Uh, but that was just a great game and a great effort for the Raptors. Um, But they did jump out to that early lead, and they let Golden State back into the game, and they admitted after the game that uh, it definitely felt like they needed to do a better job of putting them away and keeping that score uh, farther. They had the big advantage in the first quarter, but then they lost every quarter until overtime. So uh, certainly some issues that need to be worked on. Nick Nurse admitted that as well. Um, but some things that uh, that they'll need to address. Uh, rebounding, still a bit of a concern for this team. The, the Warriors uh, had a, a number of offensive rebounds and second-chance opportunities, so that's an area that needs to be cleaned up, and it, it frankly has been an area that they've struggled with all year as they go with some of these smaller lineups. Uh, and I don't want to say it's the Achilles heel of the team right now because, let's be honest, they're 20-4. and four. They're in first place in the league. They're playing great, um, but that's something that uh, they'll they'll want to find a way to address as the season goes on. Uh, And they get a good test tonight, uh, Monday night, when they take on the Denver Nuggets, who are 15-7, first place in the Western Conference. They will have the advantage of being at home. But 
it's another it's another stiff test. They had before last week uh, one of the easiest schedules in the league, and it gets much tougher between now and Christmas. Uh, even if you look at the schedule this week, Monday against Denver, who are 15 and seven, first in the West. Wednesday against Philadelphia, who are 17 and eight, third in the East. Friday at Brooklyn, a little bit of a trap game. The eight and 16 Nets sit 11th in the East, and then back home Sunday to take on Milwaukee. They are 15 and seven, second in the East. Of course, all those records as of uh, Monday morning. And things are going to change as the week progresses, but that's a tougher schedule. And then I mentioned right right after that Sunday game against Milwaukee, they, they head out west to take on the Clippers, the Warriors, the Trailblazers, and then the Nuggets again. So the next two weeks are going to provide a lot of tests for this Raptors club uh, to really prove what they're made of. They were without Kyle Lowry on Saturday. All indications appear that he will be back in the lineup on Monday against Denver. Norm Powell still about seven to ten days away. Uh, so the Raptors not quite at full strength just yet, but they're in first place. It's really hard to complain about a team when they sit in first place in the NBA. And on nights like last Thursday, when Pascal Siakam had a career high in points against the Warriors, it still just makes you sit back and wonder how did they manage to get Kawhi Leonard and Danny Green from San Antonio without having to give up Pascal Siakam or OG Ananobi. And Ananobi admittedly has struggled a little bit this year, but it's been a very disjointed start to his season. Uh, he had a wrist injury. He had, I believe he had another injury as well. He's had some personal issues that he's dealt with and, and spent some time away from the team. So uh, a very difficult start to his season, but you still see the value of OG Ananobi. And people around the NBA still just marvel at the fact that Siakam and Ananobi are still Toronto Raptors after they made that trade for Kawhi Leonard and Danny Green. Nothing against Jakob Pertl. I've mentioned this before, though. The fact that it was DeRozan, Pertl, and what's going to be a very late first-round pick just still seems like a steal for Kawhi Leonard. But Pascal Siakam, he's got to be in the conversation for most improved player in the year, uh, most improved player in the league this year. Uh, he's come into the starting lineup, sort of taking uh, OG Ananobi's role. I know things have been shifted around because uh, with DeRozan out and Green and Leonard in, but he's uh, he's a guy who has made a huge impact uh, on this team, and he is so much fun to watch. If you can get down to a Raptors game in person when he is on the floor, just spend a couple of minutes just watching him, the energy that he plays with, the way he runs the floor, and he's starting to get some finish at the rim. His three-point shot is coming along just can't stop singing the praises of Pascal Siakam. Uh, and the guys in the locker room agree. They uh, they will be the first one to give him credit for the work that he has put in uh, and the impact that he has made on this team this season. So uh, lots of reasons to be happy if you're a Raptors fan. Uh, of course, we want to see it over the course of a full season and well into the spring. Uh, but the, uh, the arrow is pointing up for the Toronto Raptors. How could it not be? They sit 20 and four, first place in the NBA. It's the first week of December. We're still a couple of weeks away from the winter meetings in Major League Baseball and the 
prime free agents have yet to sign. I'm talking about Manny Machado, Bryce Harper, Craig Kimbrell. And the Toronto Blue Jays, as we expected, have sat on the outside looking in. Uh, the biggest move on the roster that they've made is not signing young Ervis Solarte, not tendering him a contract, making him a free agent. They've named the remainder of their coaching staff. But the biggest news of the offseason has probably been the announcement of $1 hot dog days down at the ballpark this year. That's right. $1 hot dogs. I think it's on the first Tuesday of every month. Limit of four hot dogs per transaction. And they've announced some new uh, ticket packages just this morning uh, to uh, entice fans to come down to the ballpark. It's a lot of window dressing, in my opinion. They lost a number of fans this past season as the renewals of season tickets dropped off dramatically after the club didn't make the playoffs in 2017. And remember, a lot of those 2016 and 2017 season tickets were the result of guaranteeing playoff tickets for 2015 and 16. And a lot of fans after 17 and seeing the product that was on the field said, "Mm, no thanks, and didn't renew for 2018, which is why attendance was down like 10,000 per game for the Blue Jays this season. So it's a lot of ways of trying to get you to the ballpark while admitting the team's probably not going to be very good. I can think of one promotion, though, that will get people to the ballpark in droves in the spring of 2019, and that's by bringing Vladimir Guerrero Jr. to the big league level. They have not indicated yet that he is going to be uh, in the pl- or when he is going to be in the plans in the 2019 season. We do know he's going to come up at some point, but we expect them to manipulate his service time and not have him on the opening day roster. Uh, but he's probably going to be up by some point towards the end of April or early May. Uh, that's probably going to be the biggest driver in getting people down to the ballpark. It's not going to be one dollar hot dogs. It's not going to be you know, this price for these seats and Millennial Mondays or this or that or any other thing. You bring Vlad Guerrero Jr. to the Blue Jays, people are going to go watch the Blue Jays. They had a lot of bad years when Jose Bautista was a great player and there were still people in the seats. So let's get Vlad Guerrero Jr. to the major leagues and then I think you'll see your spike in attendance. Uh, it's It's an expensive outing to go down to a Jays game. Even Just for two people with cheap seats and then you have some food and a couple of beers and you buy a 50, uh, you know, some 50-50, you're still looking at over a hundred bucks, even just for two people. So you've got to make the money that people are spending worth it. And how do you do that? By winning baseball games. And how do you do that? By having the number one prospect in baseball on your roster. So let's start with that. And speaking of Blue Jays third baseman. Josh Donaldson signed a one-year $23 million deal with his former general manager, Alex Anthopoulos, in Atlanta last week. I love Josh Donaldson, but $23 million for a guy who missed as many games as he did in the last two seasons and is entering his mid-30s? Yeah, he's going to hit some home runs and hit some doubles, but if he doesn't stay on the field, that's going to be a pretty big waste of $23 million. I can respect what the Braves are doing. They made the playoffs last year. They were swept by the Dodgers, shut out twice in those games. So you want some offense and, you know, they signed Jose Bautista in the middle of last season to try and be the answer for them at third base. And he was ultimately released. So he wasn't the answer. Maybe Josh Allenson is the answer. It's a one-year deal. So there's no long-term commitment, but, you know, a pretty far cry from what Donaldson thought he was going to get. Rumors, you know, that he wanted 25 to $35 million on a long-term deal from the Blue Jays, which they were probably smart not to give out. And if you look at... Some of the contracts that the Jays have not given out over the last even three seasons. You remember heading into the 2016 season, 
uh, before Bautista was going to be a free agent. He was a free agent for the 2017 season. And he wanted like five years and, and $25, $35 million per season. We would just be entering the third year of that deal. He would have three years left at $25 million a season entering this year. And how ugly of a contract would that look if he had signed that? So maybe this regime knows what they're doing. I've still got a level of confidence in Ross Atkins and Mark Shapiro that uh, they can figure out a way to put a contending team on the field around young players like Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Let's take a look at the schedule for the next seven days. Starting this evening, Monday, December 3rd, it's the 20-4 and 4 Toronto Raptors taking on the 15-7 and 7 Denver Nuggets. That's a 7.30 tip down at Scotiabank Arena. And then week 13 in the NFL will wrap up with the 6-5 and 5 Washington football team taking on the 5-6 and 6 Philadelphia Eagles. The Eagles with an opportunity to move a game back of the Dallas Cowboys for first place in the NFC East. And those two teams will meet next Sunday. So a big game in the NFC East. The Redskins can move back into a tie with the uh, Cowboys if they win. So a huge game uh, in the NFC East tonight as week 13 of the NFL season wraps up. Tuesday night, the Maple Leafs will travel down the QEW to Buffalo to take on the Sabres. First of four divisional matchups with those Red Hot Sabres who had a 10-game winning streak snapped last week. Wednesday night, the Raptors hosting the Philadelphia 76ers, 8 o'clock tip-off. It's a uh, a heavy ESPN day for the Raptors. That game will be on ESPN and Raptors players and coaches will be featured on ESPN programming and social media platforms throughout the day as uh, I guess they figure a one-day push of Raptors content will be enough uh, to satisfy fans for the entire year. Thursday night, the Maple Leafs return home. It's a 7 o'clock puck drop with the Detroit Red Wings and potentially William Nylander's first game of the season, as we mentioned. At 8.20 on Thursday night, week 14 of the NFL season kicks off when the 4-8 and eight Jacksonville Jaguars visit the 6-6 six and six Tennessee Titans. Uh, the Titans are among the most baffling teams in the league this year, but at 6-6, six and six, they remain in the hunt for the final wild card spot and his first week of the fantasy football playoffs. So make sure you get your lineup set starting on Thursday, Jags and the Titans. Friday night, December 7th, it's the uh, Raptors visiting Brooklyn, 7.30 tip with the Nets. Saturday, the Leafs are in Boston for their second and final trip to TD Garden. It's a 7 o'clock puck drop. And on Sunday, it's the Raptors hosting the Milwaukee Bucks. That's a 6 o'clock tip-off final game for the Dinos before they head out on a four-game Western Conference road trip. Uh, some other NFL games that you might want to keep an eye on, as I mentioned, Philly and Dallas, potential first place in the NFC East on the line. And then the primetime game, the Saint, or excuse me, the Los Angeles Rams, not almost called them St. Louis Rams, the LA Rams, first place in the NFL at 11, uh, 12 and 1. 11-1, Los Angeles Rams taking on the 8-4 Chicago Bears. My Chicago Bears disappointing loss in overtime yesterday at New York. But those are the uh, primetime games uh, and some of the important games in the NFL in Week 14. And that's your schedule for the Toronto sports scene. A game every day this week. All seven days have at least one Leafs or Raptors game. No crossover games, so you don't have to divide your, uh, or no double up games, I guess. You don't have to divide your attention at all. Starting Monday, 
every other day the Raptors play starting Tuesday every other day the Leafs play so seven games in seven days for Toronto which means we're gonna have a ton to talk about next Monday on December 10th when we will return with the 416 Sports Show once again I am Matt Antonio. you can find me on Twitter DI underscore NIC you can find the 416 Sports Show for streaming and download on SoundCloud, on iTunes, on Google, wherever else you find your podcast. Please leave a review. If you have any comments about the show today, anything I've addressed that you'd like to weigh in on, please send me a, send me a tweet. Again, like I said, at the Nick, D-I underscore N-I-C. It's, uh, both teams are on a winning streak. We'll see how far both of those winning streaks can continue into the coming week. It's going to be a great week for Toronto sports, which means it's going to be a great show next week. I hope you enjoyed today, and I hope you'll join me again next week. Thanks for joining me, Toronto. Have a great week. We'll talk to you next Monday.